On this episode, we talk about the difficulty in dealing with difficult cases. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to you. My name is Connor Collins. I'm a registered massage therapist and sports injury therapist, and welcome to the Concast, a podcast where we discuss all things health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. This is episode 118. And uh, it seems that this has been a really common theme lately with people that I've talked to, clinicians, and even myself in my practice. Dealing with difficult cases, cases that maybe aren't as straightforward as we would initially imagine, or the symptom picture of the person that's going through the particular condition is either a little bit ambiguous or uh, multifactorial and the person's really struggling. Maybe sometimes the, the mechanism of injury or the onset of the symptoms doesn't quite match what the expected symptom picture will be, or in fact, there isn't really a trigger for what the person's going through, which can potentially make things even more complex, multifactorial, have multiple layers to them, which adds to a lot of apprehension and anxiety on the person that you're trying to help's part. So I thought for today's episode, I would kind of walk you through the listeners as to how I might handle a difficult case in my office in hopes that it might, as a clinician, lend some value, but even for individuals that are currently struggling with something where they're not necessarily getting answers quite yet, there may be some value in looking at it from the clinical or the clinician side and seeing how we try to to navigate difficult cases. And really, I guess the first thing to try and define as, well, what is a difficult case? And I mean, that's such a broad definition. I would define a difficult case as something that's not resolving in the expected time frame for which it is to resolve. Uh, if in fact, resolution is possible. And what we know now is that resolution sometimes isn't always possible and that there is an adaptation to a new quote-unquote normal or a new way of living based on the fact that symptoms might not resolve. And we'll kind of end up discussing that near the end of the episode as to what to do when that might in fact be the case. When I get a difficult case in my clinic, the first thing that I like to ask myself and the person that's in my office is what is the current either understanding of or working diagnosis for what they have, if they have anything that is a working diagnosis. Sometimes if it's been a really long-term kind of symptom picture, often there is either a working diagnosis or in fact a diagnosis and the person's been told that the symptoms that they have are associated with that diagnosis. But often if they haven't maybe seen their primary care physician or another practitioner, there's not really a working clinical index of suspicion or diagnosis, what we would call it in the 
in the kind of clinician side of things. And sometimes even then there isn't necessarily a diagnosis, but the person's just struggling with a symptom and there isn't really a, a cause and effect relationship or no one's really understanding where that symptom may be coming from. If there is a working diagnosis, the first place that I like to start is what do I understand about this particular condition? Is this something that I have seen in my clinical practice a lot in the past? For example, if it's someone that's struggling with, say, concussion-like symptoms or, or persistent concussive symptoms, this is something that I'm quite well-versed in dealing with? Or is this brand new for me? Have I never seen this particular condition or diagnosis or symptom set within my practice and if that is the case then I want to start to do my research on that now my research on that will be formal and informal I might look at papers about this see if I can drum up how this particular condition is usually managed or the expected prognosis or recovery or symptom set uh, as well as informal I'm going to talk to the network of colleagues and clinicians that I have and, and ask them, have they had this in their clinical practice and what has helped for them as well as the people that they see and serve. So that's the first place, trying to get some sort of framework of an understanding as to what I currently know about what they may have, or if they don't have anything, how are their symptoms presenting? And is this familiar to something that I've seen in the past? After that, I want to know what has been done. Has the person sought out kind of guidance and testing from their primary care physician? If so, what does that look like? Are they pursuing kind of avenues of imaging? Are they pursuing avenues of blood work? Are they already in a care pipeline towards another specialist? This might tell me kind of what the other clinicians are thinking in terms of how that person might present. And then also, are they seeing other therapists or have they seen other allied healthcare providers or professionals? And what has worked for them in that setting or not worked? So have they maybe seen a, a physical therapist? And to the best I can, have a discussion with the person about what did that appointment look like? Were you getting manual therapy? Were you doing exercise? Was there modalities involved? And if so, what worked for you and what didn't? This kind of sets the table for me to start to create a framework around my management of the symptoms that the person's going through. If they've seen somebody that might work similarly to me, or they've seen someone, let's say, that where manual therapy has been the sole focus of the treatment, then I start to think about, okay, what are some other things that I might be able to add to this that might be of benefit if manual therapy alone hasn't created any type of reduction in symptoms or comfort for the person? Might education and active recovery be an important piece? Might some referrals or other resources be an important piece? And this starts to just give me a broad framework for which I'm going to be working from. I then want to know, how is this progressing for you? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying about the same? Um, if it's getting better and it's getting noticeably better, I mean, that's certainly a good sign for things trending kind of downwards and in terms of the stress that creates for the person in their activities of daily living and the overall prognosis of the injury. 
For example, if you're dealing with something with already quite a long expected prognosis, like a knee reconstruction surgery, an ACL surgery, um, maybe a fracture that's required surgery, and the person's coming in, let's say, at three weeks, and they're saying, you know, I'm a lot better, but I'm still struggling with this symptom, and it's creating quite a bit of, um, whether it's disability, anxiety, or nerves in their activities of daily living. And from your experience, you understand that, look, they are quite early still in the trajectory of recovery from, say, surgery. And the literature or my clinical experience or both would suggest that, you know, three months or two to three months might be a better time to revisit this. Not Certainly not not addressing it, but maybe revisiting its lack of progression at that point. Sometimes that education around, look, you're still a little bit early and this is expected that you might have some stiffness or soreness, particularly in this range during this time of recovery, can often be really great information for the person that's struggling with it because they don't maybe necessarily know that or maybe they have been told that but they've forgotten the appointment or maybe they're just a little bit unpatient and saying, look, let's try this to try and ameliorate these symptoms in the interim, but maybe see me in a couple of weeks or two or three weeks. And if it's, if what we're doing and what the kind of natural course of the injuries uh, kind of progressing and all these other interventions that you're doing aren't working then, then it might be a little bit more cause for concern. But normally we would expect these symptoms to start to resolve in X, Y, Z. So that's why, you know, you do want to kind of know time frames and then what people's expectations are related to time frames. If it is an injury that they've had before, maybe how long did it take them to recover the last time? And trying to gauge that against, you know, is this maybe a cumulative effect, for example, multiple concussions in short time frames with longer recoveries of the second or the, th- the subsequent third concussion than the first isn't necessarily the best news understanding that at times in in the research it would suggest that that might happen so then making decisions about you know lifestyle sport return to sport or work or school depending upon all of the demographics that are involved becomes a little bit more important so that's kind of my scaffolding for how I'm going to approach things clinically and this is done all quite quickly obviously because you're doing it in the context of a person visit now you might get some information ahead of time in terms of reports emailed to you you also might get a health history if you operate digitally where you can read through and maybe there is kind of a working diagnosis in that and then you can start to research things but generally speaking a lot of this is as I'm taking and having a chat with the person and some of this I might be able to create a framework as I go and other stuff I might just have to put on the back burner and say look I'm going to have to look into some of this stuff after our appointment today or um, discuss with colleagues and I think that sometimes we feel as though as clinicians we need to have all the answers in that uh, that appointment and I think people appreciate it much more if you say look this is a Uh, maybe a presentation that I haven't necessarily seen or I haven't treated a lot of this, but I'm willing to try and saying I'm going to follow up with my colleagues who are well-versed in this and we'll discuss this in the next appointment I've found goes a lot farther. 
So once I have that scaffolding, I start at red flags. So red flags are things that might be related to really a serious injury or disease. So for example, um, if someone's been in a car accident, might they have a fracture? Or might they have a, a nerve injury or a spinal cord injury that needs quite urgent tending to? Maybe the symptom that they're experiencing, although it seems like it's coming from the musculoskeletal system or a muscle strain or a general ache and pain, might this be disease-driven? So might they have uh, a cancer? Might they have a rheumatic condition? Uh, might they have something else that's going on in the body systemically that is creating this pain and discomfort for them outside of some of the other expected causes of pain that I am aware of based on my training. So I want to see if there are maybe reasons as to why there might be red flags. So is there a mechanism of injury that would make me think about that? So for example, high rate of speed collision, falling off their bike, being in a car accident, a high rate of speed hit to the head. Is there signs of red flags of disease based on my training? Is the individual getting uh, night sweats, not sleeping well, um, unexpected weight loss, um, pain waking them up at night that's non-specific to ranges of motion when rolling over, for example? Did they maybe have a, a prior uh, cancer that uh, may have resurged. All of these are questions based on the person's health history and the symptoms that they're experiencing to try and rule out these red flags. If I'm not confident that these are ruled out based on our questioning, then that might be an opportunity for a first referral. And if they haven't been to their family doctor or in the cases of re requiring to get to the emergency room, then that referral would be made then. Once those are ruled out, either I know that that's been the case in that appointment or let's say in subsequent appointments, I then want to look at the symptom picture. What are the series of symptoms that that person is coming in for? And are there any what are called comorbidities? So is the person struggling with multiple things right now? Maybe they have uh, high blood pressure and back pain. Maybe they have uh, diabetes and they're struggling with a post-surgical knee the more comorbidities that we generally see, the more difficult at times it can be to manage an injury or a condition. Now, this isn't always the case, but we know that the resilience of the body is based on its overall health status from a physical standpoint, a psychological standpoint, and a social kind of resources standpoint. So the more that is kind of tacked into or put into that shopping cart, for example, the harder that shopping cart can be to push. We've also heard the analogy of a bathtub. The more kind of things that you have in that bathtub, at some point the water will start overflowing, but it's the collective contribution of those things in the bathtub that raises the water level, not necessarily one individual thing. So getting a global picture of health, is there anything comorbid that the person is struggling with or is the person coming in with one particular condition or symptom presentation that needs to be addressed. I then ask myself based, okay, based on the symptoms that the person is going through, 
what may they be related to today? So we talked about red flags and disease. Might they be related to medications that the person's on? Has the person been on medication for a relatively short period of time? And could it be a side effect of medication? Could it be a side effect from a procedure? Is someone, for example, going through radiation? And I know that these are known side effects of radiation. Has the person already been told that or was that an expected side effect? Are these maybe potentially side effects of procedures or medications, but they are not typical. So while there are many reported common symptoms and side effects of particular medications or procedures, there are also kind of atypical side effects uh, or atypical presentations of procedures or medications. And so could this still be the case? How might their current lifestyle and stress management relate to their symptoms? Are they working right now as a result of what they're going through? Are they not? Do they have a lot of stress in their life? Is their physical health profile in good shape? Or are they struggling with other elements of physical health as well? What are their behaviors like throughout the course of the day. So these are all questions that I'm starting to ask myself to try and build out a symptom picture. And then from there, based on these symptoms, I ask myself, have all of the potential systems that I think might be driving symptoms been investigated to the degree in which they need to be investigated? Am I kind of happy with that? So for example... If somebody is complaining of chest pain and it's been long-standing and it's left-sided and it's aggravated with activity and there may be associated dizziness at that time, has the cardiovascular system been investigated and what has that entailed? Has the person had blood work done, an ECG, a chest x-ray, an ultrasound? and maybe a Holter monitor or a stress test done. Does that seem to have been really thoroughly investigated? And that kind of systems ruled out, therefore I can focus on some of the other things. Maybe it's the tissue around the area that's aggravated. Maybe it's the anxiety around the thoughts about what's going on and the fact that these symptoms aren't resolving. Maybe it's looking at some graded exposure or exercise about making that area a little bit more comfortable as they move. But can I look at the potential contributing systems and kind of check off those systems? For another example might be, is the person getting maybe lower abdominal pain that's nonspecific and it's thought to be muscular? Does the person maybe have a hernia as well? Has the reproductive system been examined also. So depending upon where the symptoms are felt in the body, it might cause me to question multiple systems. And just because there are multiple systems in that area, it doesn't always mean that everything has to be investigated, but certain symptoms and certain things that people are going through might cause you to, again, refer back, ask further questions, get further information. So you can be that resource for the person and make sure that all those different systems that might be contributing to what they're going through 
get investigated and they get in the proper channel of care for that. Next is what does your physical exam and intake tell you? And this is kind of related to that systems question because early you might say, you might start to think if that, you know, if generally speaking, someone's talking about lower abdominal pain, that's where I go. I kind of go, okay, digestion, hernia, reproductive system. But then when I start my physical exam, some of those kind of questions may get answered. The lower abdominal area might not, in fact, be the lower abdominal area once we get there. It might be kind of the front of the leg, and the person just described it as the lower abdominal area. And then when I can get in and kind of maybe poke around a lot of that might recreate some of the symptoms that that person's feeling. Not to say that that eliminates all of these other systems immediately, but it might cause me to say, okay, well, we might try some treatment, some management, some exercise, and then see how this responds. And in the event that it doesn't, then we may get these other things involved rather than jumping the gun on them. So when I get to my physical exam, How does that relate to the current information and understanding that I have? So how does it relate to maybe any imaging that I have? Does the person have an x-ray and an ultrasound or an MRI or CT scan? Are those closely related to the symptoms that they're experiencing? Are they not at all? Does the, the imaging say that everything looks great, but the person's still experiencing symptoms? Is this an opportunity for me to kind of reframe and re-educate on the potential link of imaging findings to symptom presentation or not. So I start to go through my physical exam all the while going back to this scaffold of kind of what I've, or picture that I've painted of what might be going on. At the end of that, if all has been investigated or is currently being investigated and managed, so the person's in appropriate care funnels, then my philosophy is well, we, what we need to do is we need to address the symptoms that the person is currently experiencing and are there ways that we can reduce, eliminate, or manage those. And we just then look at the symptom rather than looking at a diagnosis. And we look at the symptom that that person's going through. What are the potential collective factors that may aggravate or relieve those symptoms based on my experience, the research, the practice guidelines that I'm aware of for any of these kind of similar collection of symptom presentations and what can we do to manage that. So that might be a number of things. What is it that I can do? And then what resources can I provide if I can't help with the other things? So for back pain, can I teach some exercise and habits and behaviors throughout the day to either eliminate or reduce back pain. I feel very comfortable in kind of managing that portion. However, if the person is experiencing a lot of depression due to the fact that they either can't go to work, can't um, go out with their friends, can't play their sports, and they're starting to become a very prominent mood component to what they're going through, then I can't help support them directly in that way, but I can be a resource for them. I can use the network of clinicians that I have to refer them either back to their primary care physician, refer them to a cognitive behavioral therapist, and get them in that appropriate management funnel, all the while thinking that I want to manage this threefold, physical, 
social, and psychological. The psychological component sometimes becomes some education that's within my scope of practice as well as behavior change throughout the day that helps ameliorate symptoms. And then the social aspect becomes things like, do they have adequate social support at home? And if they don't, can that be as simple as maybe asking for it? Do they have good access to care? Can they afford my care? Do I have to modify my treatment fee? All of these other things that I end up asking myself, making sure that can I either directly provide some value or indirectly provide value through resource. That kind of brings me to my next point is understanding that this process is going to be generally multifactorial across all aspects of health, being biological, psychological, and social, like I mentioned, and maybe include a variety of people that are managing the the process. Now, there's a lot of discussion around this in our healthcare system, most prominently related to something called iatrogenic factors to health or disease. And iatrogenic factors are a side effect due to healthcare, essentially, a procedure, a medication. Those are the two sort of things that have been most notably discussed in the past. But now we understand iatrogenic factors to disease can also be how we communicate with the people that we see and how many people might be involved in the management of what the person's going through and the kind of language that's used around that to allow the person the best opportunity for recovery and trying to not what's called catastrophize the particular uh, symptom condition or undiagnosed um, symptom picture that the person's going through and trying to offer support and an active care program in response to what they're going through the best that we can. There's a fine dance there because, I, and I don't think anyone really has a, a really solid answer and I'm not sure that we ever will receive one, but there has to be a balance between getting people into appropriate care funnels. For example, you know, if somebody needs to get into therapy, then we need to provide them that resource. But at what point do we stop investigating what the person's going through, accept that this is the symptom, and then start to devise a care program around that? Because if we continue to look and look and look, that makes the person feel as though they're not getting any answers. They're being bounced specialist to specialist. That's only making them more anxious because they think that um, what they have is really, really rare, which can be very, very scary. And so there is this point, okay, investigation needs to either pause or halt completely and a management program around the symptoms collectively through that three-prong multifactorial approach has to be devised. And I think that's very person-dependent and also depends highly on the person that's going through the particular symptom or condition or expected condition that they're experiencing. Because if the conversation around, okay, it appears that all red flags have been ruled out, appropriate systems have been investigated and have come back showing nothing, which is usually a good sign. That usually means that all of the more scary, substantial stuff has been ruled out. And so now you're left with this symptom 
or a collection of symptoms. And if all of that more substantial stuff has been ruled out, that's what we're left with. That's what we know is going on. And then how can we build a process towards moving either away from those symptoms completely, reducing them, or understanding that those symptoms might not go away. They might go away in time, or they might go away even quickly with intervention. And how can we move towards some acceptance around that? And is the person that you're discussing that with willing to participate in that? Because if they're not, then that might be an opportunity where the practitioner and the person might have to part ways and they might continue care on their own based on what they're they're looking for. So there is that shared decision-making process around is the person willing to participate in your care philosophy and are you willing to understand what their needs are and if that isn't really a great fit, then that's okay and they might be able to find someone else that might be able to help them get back to their pre-injury status or drastically reduce their, their symptoms and that's perfectly fine. If the person's willing to participate in that, I ask myself kind of three questions. How can I best address the symptoms with what I know? So might that be some manual therapy? Might that be some exercise? How can I best address behaviors related to those symptoms throughout the course of the person's day? So maybe they're a runner and they want to continue running. Can we run on flat ground and that be asymptomatic? Can we run in compression socks and that be completely asymptomatic? Compression shorts. Can we provide a reduction in intensity and that allows them to run? So what can I do clinically and in my knowledge of movement and active care to help the symptom? What behaviors can I then either change temporarily or permanently around the day that can then have carryover to when the person's not in my clinical setting? Because when you think about it, what we do as therapists, particularly if we're doing half-hour appointments, maybe once a week or something, that's a very, very small amount of time that the person's in our care. And are there things that the person can be doing or changes of behavior that can either be eliminated that drastically reduce symptoms throughout the course of the week when the person's not in our care. So I look to that. And then lastly, how can I provide supports? Are these direct through the previous two things that I discussed? Or is this person looking for something else? Are they really struggling psychologically and they haven't really mentioned that to anyone? And when I brought it up, that was an opportunity for them to let me know, do they need a different place to run? Are they looking for trail running, but the trail running that they're doing is too hard for them? Are they in a running group and they're trying to lose maybe some weight, but they don't like the running group? Is there a, a group of people that I know that I feel as though might be a fit for them? Is there a support group for what they're going through? Is there a kind of a group support in the community that I'm familiar with? Have I created one in my clinical practice or setting? All of these are, are questions that I ask myself. And then once those three questions have been kind of tackled, is there a way that progress can be tracked here? And do I think that that might be motivating for the person that's in front of me? So can we use, for example, a pain scale to do that? And while that's, you know, not 
certainly the most objective way. Can we monitor somebody's pain on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week or appointment-to-appointment basis? And do we think that's going to be helpful? Can we look at things in the clinic um, that they're doing that are really symptom provocative and track that over time? So can we say bending forward and touching your toes, you could only kind of reach to the mid part of your thigh and now you can palm the floor with less pain. While that, again, isn't truly objective, it might be an opportunity for progress, particularly if someone's been struggling with something for a really long time. One of the hardest things to see is is progress, particularly if it is not necessarily related to pain, but an improvement in function. So your pain hasn't gone down, but you're able to run 10 kilometers, and before you were only able to run one or something like that. Pain is a output and a stressor of injury and disease and other factors of health. And it is the one that is most familiar to people. And for a lot of people, that's how we solely track progress. But there are other stressors and stress outputs that are related to a symptom that you're feeling. Do you withdraw from social activities? You're not able to play a sport. You're not able to run across the street. You're not able to pick up groceries. You're not able to reach above your head to get something out of the cupboard. Trying to, again, look at what's aggravating you and then maybe using that as a means of tracking might help that person improve. And it's not always the case, again, but it might be something to think about. Lastly, how can I help a person accept that non-resolution might be the reality here? Is there a new normal for that person? That person's either always going to be in pain, their pain and symptoms will undulate or kind of get better and get worse at times. Their pain might eventually go away or their pain is substantial, but there is an expected prognosis for the reduction in pain. If the person's symptoms are going to be sticking around, how can we create a program of management around active recovery and lifestyle modification that's still giving them value and further will that value help resolve some of their symptoms or might there be more traditional medical means for managing their symptoms this might be again referring back to their family doctor to get them into an appropriate pain management program from a medical standpoint and then along with some of the allied health professionals managing it that way there might also be some kind of acceptance commitment therapy involved in that from a cognitive behavioral standpoint because we do recognize that at times some symptoms don't go away that can be a very difficult place to be from a clinician standpoint and obviously the person going through it But in those circumstances, can we allow for the best opportunity for positive resolution without full symptom resolution? The last one for me is the one that I have thought about so many times, particularly over the last couple of years, and I think I've gotten better at it myself. And this is something that when I present to other therapists, I talk quite heavily about now, and that is... I can do everything that I did in that list, be very, very thorough. The person can be in all the appropriate care funnels. The symptoms can be managed from this really thorough three-pronged approach. The person can be really compliant and 
on board for what you're doing and doing everything that you're asking kind of of them. They can be really positive and upbeat. And while your intent is positive and their intent is positive and everybody's intent is positive, the outcome still might not happen. At times, some things just don't change at all, don't change quickly or change slowly over time. And so understanding that while I have every intent that I am trying to help the person based on my clinical experience, my current knowledge of the research, and my network of colleagues and professionals that can help me, it still might not get a positive resolution in any way. And understanding that as a clinician, this can be quite a difficult place to be because you take it quite personally, particularly if you're an empathetic individual, but understanding that this is part of what we do. There will be people that don't get better. Understanding that that is not your fault and it's not really necessarily anybody's fault. It's just the reality at times. It's not a reflection of you as a clinician. It's not a reflection of them as the person going through it and putting the blame on them. And that's one thing that's not something that we should be doing, blaming the person saying, well, they're not being compliant enough to what I'm giving them. I mean, part of our job is to gain compliance through education. And if the person's not being compliant, maybe we are not delivering our messaging great. Maybe we are providing too much for what that person's able to do. Or as I mentioned earlier, maybe it's not a great fit for shared decision-making and the person needs to be referred on to somebody else. At the end of the day, while we all have positive uh, intent, sometimes these things don't, don't resolve. My question for you this week is how do you approach difficult cases? What are some things that I may not have mentioned that you found to be of value to you over the years? Or if you're a person going through a particular difficult time, do you feel as though there's something missing from what you're trying to search for? I'd love to know in the comments below. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we'll see you in the next one.